Hey friends, Nels here. Thanks for tuning in to the Journey Church Podcast. Today we're in a message series called Parables, where we're looking at how Jesus used small stories to teach big ideas. Let's tune in to see how these parables can impact our lives. Hey, good morning. Wonderful to see you. Glad you're in here, warm and dry. Somebody asked me this morning how I was. I said, great, I could be camping. So... uh, now, my, my daughter loves this weather, but I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here with you. We're in a series on the parables. The Bible says about Jesus, without a story, he did not teach. And so we're going through the New Testament looking at the parables of the stories Jesus taught in order to communicate truth. We're in a section of parables today that is a series of stories that Jesus uses to explain the kingdom of God. And the word kingdom means a dominion over which there is a king. So what's it like to live in Turkey? The kingdom, the dominion of Turkey that has a ruler. What's it like to live in the kingdom of the United States? What are its traits, its values, its laws? What is it like to live in the kingdom of God? And so Jesus is using these stories to illustrate aspects of the kingdom. And this morning we're going to look at a story about an unmerciful servant. So we're starting in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 18, and we're going to begin reading at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Denarii is about three to four dollars in U.S. money. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all, of he, all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Father, this is, uh, this is a pretty profound passage for us. And uh, pray that the Holy Spirit will help us unpack this and then apply it according to the need of each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were going to use three or four words, single words to describe the Christian faith, one of them would have to be forgiveness. 
that at the very heart of Christianity is the concept of forgiveness. It's one of the things that separates the Christian faith from other, other belief systems in the world. The principle of forgiveness and the extension of mercy is a profound aspect of why we're in this room today. Jesus, hanging on the cross between two thieves, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm in a process of reading uh, the biographies and autobiographies I have in my personal library, and right now um, I'm on the biography of George Mueller. But I finished a while back one of my favorite biographies, which is The Life of E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary in India for many years. So profound was his influence for Christianity in the, in the Indian culture. Uh, that must be God applauding for our theme today. <laughs> I went to preach to the camp meeting in which the roof was metal. And uh, it started raining so hard, we just had to quit the whole service and go eat snacks and donuts because you couldn't hear for all the rain hitting on the, uh, hitting on the metal. But we will, uh, we will charge forth. So we, Stanley Jones, would have uh, round tables. And so, so great was his influence that even prior to World War II, governments asked for his help to some, somehow thwart the beginning of World War II. And... Uh, in India, he would have these round tables, and there would be Christians around the, that table, and there would also be members of other faiths, like Hindus and others. And after one of these discussions, and by the way, the discussion was never based on what do you believe, but it was based on in whom do you trust. And after one of the discussions, a member of the Hindu faith came to East Stanley Jones, and he said, it isn't fair. We have to work for our salvation but you have a Savior. It isn't fair. We have to work for our salvation, but you have a Savior. Christianity is about Christ. At the heart of Jesus was this heart of forgiveness and this extension of mercy towards us. And so as we ponder this parable, it is both a horizontal parable in which Jesus is talking about how we forgive one another, but it's based on a vertical relationship of how Jesus forgives us and how we receive that forgiveness and mercy from him. So as we look at this parable, we see a series of principles that help us to understand both our horizontal relationships and also our relationship with God. So let's have a look at those. First, what is the measure of forgiveness? And according to this parable, the measure of forgiveness is our forgiveness. The measure of forgiveness that we extend to one another is the measure of our forgiveness. Jesus tells another story of a woman who came to see him. He was actually eating dinner in a Pharisee's home. And she came in and she knelt down at his feet. And she began to weep, the Bible tells us. And as she wept, her tears fell upon Jesus' feet. And she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And she poured out upon his feet perfume from an alabaster box. And the Pharisee was incensed that this woman would come into his home and behave this way because the story tells us that she was a sinful woman. 
That doesn't mean she just, well, we've all sinned. It means that she had lived a lifestyle of sinfulness that had been obvious to other people. She was a sinful woman, and he was incensed that she was here. And so Jesus turns to the Pharisee, and he said, look at the behavior of this woman. You did not wash my feet when I came in, but she has not stopped washing my feet with her tears and her hair. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet. And then he told the story again. He said, what if somebody owed 500 denarii, which would be about $1,500, and someone else owed 50 denarii, which would be $150, and both debts were canceled? Who would be the most grateful? And the Pharisee said, well, obviously the one who had owed 1,500, yes. So he said, the person who has much to be forgiven will be the most grateful. Now here's a conundrum. If we behave ourselves and order our lives after the laws of God, whether we are a Christian or not, God honors his ways and my life will be blessed because I've ordered my life according to the way he's structured the universe. And the more I order my life, the more orderly my life becomes, the more blessed I am. And if Israel is any example, it is likely that it is easy to forget how much forgiveness I need. Because of the very blessing of God. So what do I do with that? Well, if I measure forgiveness, the need for forgiveness on the basis of just behavior, then I'm in trouble. But actually, if you go back into Genesis, the whole principle of forgiveness is based upon not first behavior, but independence. A disposition of my heart that I can do this on my own. And that we as fallen people will fight this measure of independence all of our life. Remember, Adam and Eve, all they did was eat, eat a piece of fruit. But before they ate the fruit, after God had said, don't eat the fruit, the Bible says three things. One, they started focusing on the fruit and decided it was good for food. Number two, they focused on the fruit and said it was great to look at. Number three, they decided Satan was right and it would make them wise, so they independently decided how they were going to behave. If I start looking at my need for forgiveness based upon this urge to live independently, now why does that word matter? Because the core value in the kingdom of God is love. And love is a relationship term. And it means I am together. And men, you would know this. I don't have to offend my wife by going out and sinning greatly in some public way. If I start living in a spirit of independence from her and I do that over a long period of time, she will be wounded in her spirit. It will create division in our home and we will both suffer. 
And when I began to look at my independence as being at the core of what separates me from God, it is easier for me to realize that I am always in need of forgiveness and the level of my forgiveness is great and so I should transfer that to others as I relate to them. So what's the measure of my forgiveness? My forgiveness. Now number two, I'm often tempted... I'm often tempted to demand justice, but often that demand becomes a need for control. Now we look at this parable, and what do we find first? We find this measure of forgiveness, but what do we find second? We find that the the man who had been forgiven much went out and demanded justice from a man who owed him money. The Bible says, in fact, he choked him. I mean, this guy with a bit of a temper. He choked him, and then he insisted he pay him back, and if he wasn't going to pay him, then he was going to have him thrown into prison. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about my need for justice. And you and I, we have an inborn need for justice. But in fact, the Bible tells us to transfer that desire for justice to God. Because I don't have the sole capacity. Can I say that again? I don't have the sole capacity to deal with the issues of justice without it ruining me. The demand for justice easily slides into bitterness. Bitterness is the holding of somebody else in my standard and my court of law and demanding that something happen to them. And when I do that, my own soul does this. And so the Lord says, if you, if you need justice, don't deny the need for justice, but transfer it to the Lord. So judgment is mine, Romans 12 19 says, judgment is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, what's one reason why justice doesn't work very well if I hold it to myself? Because I never have the capacity to have all the facts. I never have the capacity to have all the facts. In my fallenness, the Bible says I see through a glass darkly, and so I I simply do not see all the factors involved in the meeting out of justice. And so God says, give the need for justice to me. Otherwise, it descends into a demand for control. And that demand for control leads me into an unforgiving spirit. Because ultimately, forgiveness is releasing someone else. It's living with a sense of release. Let's look at a third one. The third one is this. The world understands my behavior and decides my influence. Now, this is the favorite part of this parable to me. The Bible says that the other servants saw what was going on. They saw that the the master had forgiven the uh, debt to the one servant. 
they saw that that very same servant had gone to someone else and demanded the debt, though much smaller, be paid to them, and they were watching. And they knew that wasn't right. And they went to the master, the Bible says, with great consternation or distress. You and I, we're supposed to be known as people of mercy. Forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian faith. But the Christian church in America is not always known for mercy. It's just as often known for harshness. We are far more aware of the measure of someone's sin than we are of the measure of our own forgiveness, let alone the measure of mercy. The joy of extending mercy is sadly not always part of the reputation of the Christian church. Now why would that be? Because we've often based our faith on propositions instead of relationships. That's why it would be. I love to forgive my kids. Because I'm in relationship with my children And I aspire for them, and I yearn for them in my heart. And when they call and tell me that they've gotten a raise or a promotion or that one of the kids is in the soccer team, and I envision Pele, and I think, uh, this is going to be great, and these are my grandchildren, and they are destined to greatness, and and I'm over the top. And what, what is all that? So that, all that's about, that's about love. That's what love is. Love, and as love just carries with it an aspiration for other people. And so when my children do wrong, I want to believe it's an aberration. <laughs> well, it's not that, that yeah. You had a bad day, you know. You go back to why justice is God's. <laughs> because in relationship, you yearn to show mercy. You want to be merciful. There's glory in the mercy. But if I'm not in relationship, if I'm just living in proposition, then I'm living in a world where other things are a threat. And I'm looking with suspicion. And I don't yearn for mercy. The world's looking on. This Bible, this, this, this story tells us that the other servants were paying attention to how this guy was behaving. I once got mad at a DMV (laughs) person in Iowa many years ago. Not only was I irritated, I knew I was right. (laughs) Did you love that? But I went home because they got all the power. It doesn't work to be mad at them because they're, they get the power and you don't. I went home and I thought, I, I can't let that stand. So a couple of days later, I went back in, made sure I had the same woman, and I apologized to her, though I don't even know her. She didn't know me. It didn't matter. I knew me and God knew me. I thought, I I cannot be a person that doesn't extend grace and mercy to other people. 
I can't live with myself. Because other people are watching. And I carry about, if you notice the scripture when we were giving our offerings this morning, we are the representatives of Christ. And this, this parable tells us somebody else is watching. No matter how much I vindicate myself based on a set of circumstances, other people know. They know what forgiveness looks like. In apartheid in South Africa, great injustices were done. And as they tried to right the wrongs, they had these courts of reconciliation where the offenses were brought forward and decisions were made. And in one court setting, a man who had been an official of the government had participated in the death of another man. And not only his death, but his torture by fire. And the mother of the young man who had been tortured and killed was in the courtroom. And as was part of the dialogue of these courts of reconciliation, the mother was asked her response. And she asked, would the court remand the government official to her care because it was obvious that he had never been mothered or he would have never treated another person this way so that she could mother him in the love of God and both their lives would be changed. The world knows what that is. And here, the servants looked on, expecting mercy and forgiveness from someone who had received mercy and forgiveness, and they did not see it, and they went to their master. Which leads us to the last principle, which is this. You will attract what you give. Luke chapter 6, it says, you will be judged like you judge. You'll be condemned with the same measure that you condemn others. You will be given on the basis of how you give. And then it uses this little phrase, for with whatever measure you meet it out, out, with that same measurement, it will be given to you. So imagine in the kitchen, and you're using these little measuring cups, and you decide, I'm going to measure things out by the quarter cup. Or I could choose the entire, a whole cup, but I'm going to use the quarter cup. It says, with the same measure that you use, if I measure out mercy with the quarter cup, I measure out forgiveness with the quarter cup, with that same measure, that's what you and I will receive. If we use the whole cup, then in that same measure, that's what we will receive. Now, I saw an unusual example of this when I was in Bible college, which was just four or five years ago. <laughs> I was in Bible college, working my way through college in Minneapolis, and I was working at an F.W. Woolworths. Anybody here know what an F.W. Woolworths are? You remember those? They were the, they were the precursor to uh, dime, they were dime stores that were the precursor to eventually Kmart and Target and Walmart. 
But uh, Woolworths was in a mall, and I worked in the stock room, and we had a manager who was a bear. I mean, he thought the primary way to communicate was to growl, and that's how you got your work done. He had an assistant manager, and that assistant manager took on the disposition of the manager. And if the manager growled, then he'd growl. It's kind of like a parent getting after one of his kids in the back seat when they're driving, and so the kid in the back seat gets after his little brother or sister, you know, just kind of filters down. So I'm working under this uh, regime, <laughs> and, uh, and then we got a new manager. But we didn't get a new assistant manager. And I watched, to my amazement, that the behavior of the assistant manager changed. Because the new manager had a soft way about him. He was like a phlegmatic in temperament, and he'd just ask you to do something. He wouldn't say, get these books out of the aisle. He'd say, uh, could we stack these books somewhere else? And the assistant manager started talking the same way. And so instead of growling, he'd come out, and he would talk that same way. I realized that that was the impact of the behavior of the manager as it filtered down. And that's the principle he's talking about here. He says, if, if you want mercy, you mete out mercy, and the level you give mercy is the level you receive mercy. And I want to receive mercy. There's never a day goes by that I don't need mercy. Because if I don't judge my day on the basis of behavior primarily, but on the basis of independence... I never have a day where there's not part of me that wants to step across the line and become independent. Which is a move away from love. And so every day, I need mercy. And I need mercy just as much as the people whose names come up in the news at six o'clock at night because their outward behavior and sin has brought them into public shame, my quiet, unseen move of independence in my heart is no less heinous than that behavior. Because both behaviors violate the principle of love. And so that's something of how God wants us to look about forgiveness and mercy in his kingdom. So John writes in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Others have to work for their salvation We have a Savior. Let's set our things aside and bow our heads. With our heads bowed in prayer and eyes closed, may I say this to you? It is not God that comes to us with condemnation. It is Satan. He minimizes sin to get us into it, and then he maximizes it to keep us from getting out of it.
And it is not possible for a group of this size for some of us to have not come in under a spirit of condemnation. Somewhere in our life this week, we crossed a line. And Satan wants us to camp at that place and be frozen at that place. And forgiveness and mercy is about movement. Right where you're seated, you can say, Lord, I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Express mercy towards me today. And come into my heart. We're going to wait for a moment. If you want to pray a prayer like that, you do that. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have a faith that its core is about forgiveness and mercy. For these who slip their hands up, give them the assurance that you promised in 1 John 1, 9, that you've heard their prayer. You've received it, and you've extended mercy to them. We praise your name for your kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.